Let us hear the word of God, Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the living God. It is written. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. As we're making our way through this sermon uh, series through the book of the Acts, we've taken some extra time here in Acts chapter 9 to consider the conversion and calling of Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as the Apostle Paul. And looking at this account, we are looking at the marks of true conversion. Last Sunday, 
we focused on one mark of true conversion, which is simply this, that the if you have been truly converted to Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit and have been brought to Jesus Christ and united with him in a bond of faith and love, you have your story to tell. It doesn't necessarily have to be a dramatic story or some kind of super extraordinary story, but if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he is in your life and you are in him, you have your story to tell. This morning, we're going to look at some other marks of true conversion, but again, at the outset, I want to say this sermon is not complete. There's So much more that could be said, and I want to acknowledge that from the beginning. But nevertheless, with the time that we have, let's take a a look at a few more marks of true conversion as we consider them in the light of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the continuing life of the Apostle Paul. And by the way, why these sermons? Well, it's simply this. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, a gathered church of professing Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote to them and said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And in other passages in 1 Corinthians and also to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul encouraged the professing Christians to examine themselves, to judge themselves in order to make sure that the faith of their profession was indeed a faith of true possession. Not only an outwardly professed faith, but an inwardly possessed faith. Now, just a few days ago, I had a delightful conversation with a man who told me that because he had been raised in the church, He assumed that he was a Christian, but that upon uh, examination of his life, uh, having been challenged by a, a pastor, upon examination of his life, he realized that he had really never, ever made a conscious and intentional commitment to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he said that it dawned on him. How, how could he be a Christian? if he wasn't really living as a Christian. Well, he is now living as a joyful believer in Christ because he examined himself and came to faith, true faith, in Christ. So as we go through the sermon, examine yourself. Do you see these marks of true conversion in your life? And by the way, Let me say, we're not talking about spiritual perfection here or spiritual perfectionism because none of us obtains a perfection in this life. But it has to do with the orientation and the trajectory of our lives. So one mark of true conversion, as we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, is a changed life and a new identity. A changed life and a new identity. As we read, the Jewish Christians in Damascus had heard the news that Saul of Tarsus was on his way with letters from the high priest authorizing him to persecute 
the Jewish Christians in the synagogues of Damascus, and they were scared. This was bad news. The bad dude was coming to town. When one of them, a man named Ananias, had a vision in which the Lord told him to go find Saul of Tarsus and welcome him and pray for him, Ananias objected and argued with the Lord, saying, Lord, I have heard how much evil he has done your saints. But sure enough, the man who had been the violent persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ soon became a member of the church of Jesus Christ and a preacher of Jesus His conversion and his calling were confirmed by the change in his life. He had a new life and a new identity in Jesus Christ. And so, watch this. When the Apostle Paul later in his life wrote to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't writing it as mere general abstraction, doctrine in the abstract. He wrote it as autobiography. He himself had become a new creation, a new man in Christ. What he had been had passed away. What he had become, a new man, had come into reality. But when Paul wrote that verse to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He wrote it not only about himself, but for every believer in Jesus Christ. That verse, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, is autobiographical for every true Christian. Is that verse written in your autobiography? When you read that verse, do you say, that's about me? Now, not everyone's story is the story of such extreme, marked, external change. Saul of Tarsus was a violent persecutor of Christians, and that's probably not who you were. But if you've been truly converted, you know the difference in your life, and others who know you well can see it. Is that true of you? Or even if, because of your blessed background, You've always been a very nice, socially acceptable, socially appropriate person, a a moral, upstanding, ethical person whom people would generally refer to as a good person. It's still possible that you, like Saul of Tarsus, are at war with God. What do I mean? Well, that's a nice, socially appropriate, socially acceptable, well-rounded person. 
You live your life the way you want to, without regard for the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. You pursue your own goals and agendas in life, and they may very well be good goals and good agendas. But you do so without concern for the kingdom of God and his glory, and even the good you do, you do for your own self-interest and not for the glory of God. Nice, very nice, but in rebellion against God, blinded by unbelief, dead in trespasses and sins. But if you have been truly converted, born again by the Holy Spirit, given a new heart filled with the love of God and love for God, that's a mark of true conversion, and a new mind, a mind renewed by the Holy Spirit with the truth of God's Word so that you see your life and the world from a completely different perspective, the perspective of God's truth. And a new soul with a conscience that is conscious desire to please God in obedience to his word, that's a mark of true conversion, then you see there's been a fundamental change in your life, a change in the orientation of your life and a change in the trajectory of your life. You've got a new and better reason to get up every morning to serve and glorify God in all and whatever you do. So you see this fundamental change in the life of a truly converted person can be summed up in the words of Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, that believers in Christ are no longer to live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Or, as Paul wrote to the Romans, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we should walk in newness of life. If we have truly received Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, how could our lives not be different and marked by a change of behavior and attitudes, direction, priorities, and goals. Do you have a new life because you are a new creature in Christ? Listen uh, to John Newton. John Newton was the wonderful pastor, great evangelist, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. But before he was a pastor and evangelist, he was a horrible and wicked slave trader. But here's a quote from John Newton. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Is that mark of true conversion, a changed life with a desire for greater change 
into the likeness of Christ, written into your autobiography. And even if you're one of those blessed people uh, to whom I referred last Sunday, who can sincerely say with true faith, I never knew a day when I did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Nevertheless, as a Christian, if you're truly converted, you know the reality of your own sinful nature. Your conversion in childhood may not have been marked by radical change in your outward attitudes and external behaviors. But nevertheless, if you're truly converted, you have an awareness of your own sinful nature, indwelling sin. And you know well what you could and would be apart from Jesus Christ. And even more, if you're truly converted, you know your need for the ongoing growth and maturity in Christ, for continual change, transformation, sanctification in those areas of the secrets of your heart, which no one except God can see, such as the indwelling sin of self-righteousness, pride, and ingratitude, or a lack of compassion and mercy upon others who have not enjoyed the spiritual blessings which you have known since your birth into a Christian home. But the point is, if you are truly converted, even if you have lived as a committed Christian since childhood, you know your need for what is rightly called continual conversion, more complete conversion, deeper conversion, continual repentance, growth in grace, persevering faith, and daily cross-bearing discipleship. Now, that's true for every truly converted Christian. So even though we may usually think of and refer to conversion as that fundamental change in our life which took place in some context in the past, it is equally important for us all to realize that true conversion continues into the present as continual conversion. Another mark of true conversion that goes along with this and follows from it is the deeply personal realization that the grace of God is truly amazing. This takes us back, in a way, to John Newton and amazing grace. If you've been truly converted, you know that it was no little thing. No little thing to be taken for granted. That God saved you from your sins and from the hell that you deserved. As Pastor Jonathan and I always say, we preach, first of all, to ourselves. The personal, deeply felt realization of the amazing grace of God in your life is a mark of true conversion. Is it there? Consider the fact, well, let me say it this way. We, 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 although, as Christians, we ought not to beat ourselves up for the sins of the past. We ought never to forget who we were and who we would be 
apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And to illustrate this, the Apostle Paul never forgot the stoning of Stephen. The Apostle Paul never forgot the stoning of Stephen. He knew that he was forgiven, but he never forgot it. The Apostle Paul never forgot that he was a horrible persecutor of the church. He knew that he was forgiven. Fully, freely forgiven. But he never forgot it. And so he wrote to Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. You see, that statement is general and broad and given to all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then it becomes autobiographical. Of whom I am chief. Now, Paul wasn't bragging when he wrote that. But he was boasting. He was boasting in the greatness of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Not for a moment did he doubt the mercy and forgiveness of God. But when Paul looked back on his sins with remorse, he did so as a reminder, a reminder to himself of how great a Savior Jesus Christ is. Paul looked at himself as a sinner and was amazed by the grace of God in Christ. And so will we if we are truly converted. Paul looked at himself as a sinner and was amazed by the grace of God in Christ. And so will we if we are truly converted. Consider what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection appearances of Jesus. He, Christ, appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Last of all, he appeared to me. I don't want to over-psychologize that verse, but I think that we can hear a kind of, a kind of wistfulness, a kind of remorse, a real regret. Because Paul realized that all the time that he'd been living without a relationship with Christ, he had been wasting his life. And that all the time and energy he had spent persecuting the church was time and energy persecuting the Savior who had died for him. So when Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me, it's not just about when Christ appeared to him. It's not about the chronology of those appearances. It was, it was that he was the last because he was the least deserved. It's as though Paul were saying, I was the last person I would ever expect 
to be shown the grace and mercy of Christ. I was, I was the last person who ever deserved to be shown such grace and mercy. And every true convert ought to feel a pang of that as well. But Paul's personal remorse served only to magnify the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Listen to how he finishes that passage, the very next verse. But, but, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. His grace toward me was not in vain. And that's true for every truly converted person. Is that statement written into your autobiography? His grace toward me, even me, was not in vain. A true convert knows that he or she has been really saved by a real Savior from real sins and a real hell by really amazing grace. And the true convert never takes that for granted and never presumes upon the grace of God as though it were a cheap thing. It's not only about our past sins, sins in the past. It's also about sins in the present for the truly converted Christian in our ongoing struggle against sin as Christians. The Apostle Paul, as he contemplated himself apart from Christ, as he considered who he was in and of himself apart from Christ, he wrote in Romans 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me, wretched man that I am. But it is that remorse over his sins and his indwelling sinful nature that causes Paul to rejoice in his salvation. As he writes at the end of Romans 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And now think about other verses which Paul wrote, which are not merely doctrinal in the abstract. I mean, th this is propositional truth. It is doctrinal truth. But I want you to think about it as autobiography. And, and as real autobiography in the lives of truly converted people. Paul, Romans 5, while we were still helpless, while I was still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly, me. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While, while I was still in rebellion against God, Christ died for me. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, not, that, that's not just a proof text for the doctrine of justification. That's autobiography for the truly converted. I have peace with God. Because Jesus Christ has Born my sins in his own body on the tree. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not 
counting their trespasses against them. Autobiography. In Christ, God was reconciling me to himself, not counting my trespasses against me. You see, these verses and so many more are written into the life stories of truly converted people. Are these verses about you? That's the thing. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. Read the Gospel and say, that's about me. Do they thrill your heart? Because you know that they are true in your own life. The truly converted heart will rejoice and say, yes, amen. When he or she hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Is that your song in your story? The true convert sings that hymn with a sincerity that floods his or her heart with joy and wonder over the grace of God in his or her life personally. Amazing grace! How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me! The unconverted person sings that hymn as a cultural folk song. The truly converted person then, moving on, flowing out of this sense of wonder over God's amazing grace, has a desire to live faithfully for Christ out of gratitude to Him and love for Him. Paul had a passion for a deeper knowledge of Christ. The Apostle Paul who had this dramatic conversion and calling experience, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he himself testifies that he had this ongoing, insatiable passion for a deeper knowledge of Christ and a deeper relationship with Him. This was the pulse beat of Paul's life, even being willing to suffer for Christ out of gratitude to Him and love for Him. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3 as he speaks of his desire to know Christ more fully. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now, are those verses written in your autobiography? Paul's passion to the very end of his life was to know Christ more and more deeply and to press on in faith and love until the day he would see him face to face. Is that your passion, the driving force in your life? And finally, for today, again, this list is not exhaustive, not complete, but another mark of true conversion is love, not only for Christ, but also for his people, the church. On the night of his betrayal and arrest, 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. To belong to Christ in true faith is to belong to one another in his body, the church, in a bond of love. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Those who know Christ's love will love his people and will care for them. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that this this love we are to have for one another is self-giving love, self-sacrificial love. It is nothing less than the love of Jesus within us, which we are to show to one another if we know Christ's love. We will love his church, his people. And this is the love of Jesus, which transformed Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul, which transformed the persecutor of the church into a member of the church and a lover of the church. Those who love Christ will love his people. It's a mark of true conversion. Again, these two sermons do not cover all the marks of true conversion, but I hope they've provided some guidelines by which we may all examine ourselves. As I concluded the sermon last Sunday, the Scripture says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And for all those whose faith is confirmed by the evidence of these marks of true conversion, let us press on to know the Lord. Continue to examine ourselves, repent of our sins, turn away from ourselves and our sins and our self-righteousness and turn to Christ anew in faith and repentance and press on toward the goal, fighting the good fight, running the race, keeping the faith until the Lord calls us home in the blessed assurance that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To the glory of His name, amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the glorious gospel of Your Son, our only Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom alone is life and life eternal. Now we pray that Your Holy Spirit will work Your Word in our hearts and renew our minds that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and live lives pleasing to you, bearing much fruit for your glory, through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. As we say responsively, the Heidelberg Catechism number one. Beloved Christian, 
what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death. Not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. Amen.